What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Built Different Podcast. My name is Zach Clinton. I'll be your host. And as we continue to grow, I'll have friends joining me each week to interview some of the leading experts in the fields of motivational speaking, mental health, ministry, and even sports. Our goal is to instill hope, encouragement, and motivation in and through your life today. And our prayer is that after each episode, you'd be more equipped and encouraged to look, love, and live more like Christ from the inside out. That's our definition of what it means to be built different. So I hope you're ready. You better buckle up. Let's roll. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to this week's edition of the Built Different Podcast. Man, I hope and pray you all had a blessed weekend. And I don't know about y'all, but as you already know, I love sports and especially that of baseball. I don't know if you've been tuning in or not, but this year's College World Series has been one for the record books. Tons of close games, walk-off wins, and more. And let me tell you, this championship series between LSU and Florida has been a fun one to watch. I mean, you can't beat why Watching two of the top-ranked and most prestigious baseball programs in the country go head-to-head in Omaha on college baseball's biggest stage, and both teams have truly been living up to the hype. And as of this recording, uh, the final deciding game will actually be taking place this evening, which means my wife and I will be heading over to my parents' house really to watch as it's a tradition that my dad and I started uh, watching this game together several years ago now. And and that's where I want to just make this transition into our topic for this week's episode, the significance of a dad. You guys, research is clear Dads matter, and whether young or old, male or female, we all consider a father's presence one of the most important factors and elements in our lives, and as my dad would say, for both good and for bad. In the 2021 study from the Journal of Family Psychology, they actually found that warm and caring dads predicted better mental health outcomes for children, noting that both boys and girls with such fathers experience fewer weight concerns, higher self-esteem, and fewer depressive symptoms. Additional research has shown that fathers who are involved in caregiving and play and who react with warmth and greater sensitivity to a child who expresses emotion are significantly more likely to have children with better emotional balance from infancy to adolescence and such emotional stability in turn has predicted higher levels of social competence, peer relationships, academic achievement, and resilience amongst our kids. This connection actually between physically present emotional available fathers and mentally healthy kids is so strong that researchers have actually termed it the good father effect. In other words, it's evident that a dad's presence matters. However, guys, what breaks my heart is that we unfortunately find ourselves in what many have identified as a pandemic of fatherlessness in our country today. And you guys, recent statistics have even revealed that nearly 40% of kids will wake up at some point in a home where their biological father does not live. And I'm just going to shoot you guys straight and be real honest right here. That just isn't good enough. Children, did you guys know that Children with absent fathers are 63% of youth suicides, 90% of runaway children, 85% of children with behavioral disorders, 71% of high school dropouts, 85% of youths in prison, and that the strongest predictor of whether a boy will end up behind bars is whether he had a father in the home. In other words, if you're a dad out there listening, you matter more than you know. And you see, this topic was was really heavy on my heart, and it was pressing on my heart, as obviously just two Sundays ago, we had the opportunity of celebrating Father's Day, where so many of us, including myself, were able to take the time to reflect on the significant role our dad plays or has played in our lives. We got to shower them with love and appreciation for all that they mean to us. But as I got to thinking about it, you guys, there are many out there that weren't able to do so. Maybe it was because they grew up in a fatherless home. Maybe it's because they've just been carrying such anger or hoarding a lot of resentment and bitterness toward their dad for past hurts and hangups. And it was in those moments of deep thought that I just began to pray over those who have been wounded in this way and asking the Lord ways in which we could have an episode that would really not only minister to those dads who maybe haven't been the best or haven't done the best job thus far in being present or showing up in their child's life, but also 
ministering to those who maybe grew up in a home with an absent or maybe even just emotionally unavailable father and have been harboring some of that anger, resentment, and bitterness toward their dad for quite some time. And man, you guys, let me tell you, as I was praying, God heard and answered my prayers by connecting me with our guest today who has easily one of the most powerful testimonies I've ever heard involving pain and brokenness, but also forgiveness and restoration around the father-son relationship. Joining us today really to just unpack this topic and share his powerful testimony is a spoken word artist, a gospel hip-hop artist, a podcaster, and a preacher who uses transparency to connect through art with all those he has the opportunity of interacting with. This incredible new friend of mine goes by the name of Legend. Inspired by his father's battle with addiction, Legend speaks about fatherlessness to forgiveness, as well as racial reconciliation and urban apologetics amongst other topics in the hope of the gospel and in throughout his music. You guys, this man just has a heart of gold. Someone who really just, I mean, he prays that God would provide him with opportunities, whether it's on a podcast, whether it's within prisons, within churches, hosting a concert or a conference for youth and mental health, whatever that looks like. This guy just wants to answer the call that the Lord has placed on his life. So my prayer for you today is that you would lean in and that you would receive what the Lord wants you to hear and take away from our time together today. I'm not going to take up any more of your time because I just cannot wait to dive into today's interview. So without further ado, let me introduce you to my good friend, Legend. My man, Legend, thank you so much for joining us today. What up, brother? How you doing, Zach? Thanks for having me, dog. Doing well, brother, man. Let me begin by saying a big shout out, a big thank you uh, to my former travel ball baseball coach. Now he's a near and dear friend of mine, a mentor of mine, Francis. That. That's right, for connecting the two of us because I just want to give a shout out um, to our listeners and just understanding that what well, you're about to hear this story, one of great pain and great brokenness, but also one of forgiveness and restoration really built around this father-son relationship. It's truly one of the most profound testimonies and stories that I've had the opportunity of hearing listening to legend um, is a spoken word artist he's a gospel hip-hop artist a podcaster preacher and speaker he uses transparency to connect in art and to communicate with his listeners Uh, but before we dive in legend i think a lot of our listeners may be wondering the same thing that i was maybe wondering when i first had the opportunity (laughs) where does the name legend come from thank you brother for the question uh the testimony in that is my name is nigel n-i-g-e-l Legend is just Nigel spelled backwards, simply means Christ turned my life around. Mm-hmm. So that's what it is. No O in it. It's not Legion. We're not saying we are many. It's not a mixtape that's dropping. Uh, literally talking about God being who he is. <laughs> I love that, brother. So legend is Nigel spelled backwards when God really shifted and turned your life around. And as we were just talking before we were preparing to even press play on this recording of this podcast interview, God is doing some amazing things in and through your life. I mean, you're going around, you're speaking, you're singing, you're performing, whether that's within churches, within prisons, within youth groups and gatherings. I mean, God is using you in a special and profound way. There's a message of hope and of light and encouragement on your heart that God is really just taking to the masses. But brother, one thing that we know all the time here on the podcast is that truly uh, there's always some pain or some backwater that kind of fuels and propels that message of hope into other people's lives. For you, Legend, man, what was um, that like for you? I know going back to your childhood, maybe growing up in a fatherless home really kind of ignited some of this. What would you say those years were like for you growing up personally? Man, uh, growing up, in my father's absence, for the reason he was absent, it, just, it did a lot to your identity, your value. Like, why am I here? Like, if I mattered, wouldn't the person who brought me here be here? Like, that stuff was hard, man. So, I mean, that's what it, that's what it did in the transformative years. And then, you know, as a response, you start looking for things to cover up the pain. You, so for me, I put on, I, I describe, I put on a mask. Like, I would take different pieces of different things I thought manhood was and make a mask out of them to project an image to hide pain. So you listen to, I don't know what your favorite rapper or artist is saying, athlete, what they're representing, what your peers are doing, what you, what, whatever you think in culture uh, is, I love entertainment, so movies and music, whatever the guys I looked up to doing, I need to be like that, because they look like they got all the money, they got all the women, they don't look like they're hurting, they look happy, I need that. Let me shake it till I make it kind of deal. And uh, I just think when we're hurt, 
and it don't matter what the trauma is. We don't want to deal with it and address it. We find a way to function with it in a way that doesn't look like we have it. So um, uh, searching for masks is something I think we all do uh, until we are fully seen and known in Christ, you know? Absolutely, man. Like you said, those years of identity formation, um, and then when you're experiencing a lot of pain, you're not knowing where to look or where to turn or who to look up to. It's like we'll do anything to numb or to anesthetize that pain or that void in our lives. For you personally, man, how well dark? How dark was some of, you know, the muck and the mire that you were going through as you were trying to form and, and find that identity and purpose in life? Yeah, yeah. So so the story is, um, you know, my mom and dad were married for about 10 years happily before I showed up. And uh, is that what you were asking? The story yeah. part or something different? Absolutely. Yep. Let me try. Didn't miss and just start answering something completely different. Oh, <laughs> 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 um, no, nah, man. So, so they married for 10 years. Happy marriage. She's got a good PR job. He's a, you know, news reporting live in the field kind of guy. And, uh, and right after I'm born, uh, my dad, you know, he's got his first son, first kid, and, his dad, and, and both of my dad's parents passed away in a decently close proximity to each other. And my father ended up uh, turning from social drinking to depending on alcohol and became alcoholic. And, uh, and then, you know, tried some drugs and became a drug addict. So uh, the guy who my mom married was, was quickly fading away. And uh, five years later into my life and three failed rehab attempts, my mother has to decide, uh, do I save my marriage or do I save my son? Mm. And uh, no woman should be put in that position and, and no man for that, 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 that you know, uh, no man for, for that uh, matter if the situation is reversed. Nobody should have to deal with that. But she did. And, and one of the ways my dad let her know he was choosing the darkness is he put his favorite drink in front of her favorite coffee mug, which he never did, so that she would see I'm choosing this over you. Mm. Um, and so she had to, you know, make a plan that day that I need to get out of here. So we moved back into my grandparents' house, the same home she was raised in. Uh, and, uh, and my grandparents were like, hey, I remember the day, 1989, walking up the steps at night. Grandma says, how would you like to live with grandma? And I just say, yay, when's daddy coming? And, and I, I still remember the blank stare on their face because they didn't know what to say. Um, but you know, I, I made up these stories of, well, in elementary school, my dad's a secret agent. He's saving the world. That's why he's not here. Or he's, he's a ninja and I'm mean, using lying. You know what I'm saying? But you're trying to figure out a thing. Yeah. And, but you always hope he comes back around 12 or 13. He, he gets through and a drunken phone call and says, Hey, I pick, I bought this car. I'm coming on this day to pick you up to make up for lost time. Be ready. And my mother didn't know how to tell me he was lying. Uh, so she waited with me while I waited by the door until I, until I realized he's not coming, is he? Said, no, baby, he's not. And so it's that, that does something to you that the acknowledgement that something is more important than me and you finally let yourself feel it, man, it hurts, bro. It does something to you, breaks you. I was not a bad kid, um, in the sense of out here in the streets, wilding out, whatever. But at that moment, it kind of turned into, all right, well, you know, F you too then, and I'm just going to do what I want to do kind of thing. And, um, and uh, I just really got hurt. And, and I said, I'm, I need to find a way out of this darkness on my own. Like I said, start listening, putting on the mask. And uh, again, not, not a bad kid, but I found myself in situations I never would have been in had I, had I uh, chosen a different path. But I was just like, I just need to go get a release, right? Yeah. Broke some relationships, hurt some people, did some stuff, just bad things. Uh, fast forward to 20. My dad writes a letter and says, uh, I need to come and see you and apologize for missing out on your life. Mm. So we meet for dinner. He comes down to Virginia Beach and some relatives I've never met before. I, I see them first at the restaurant. And, oh, nice to meet you. There's your dad by the beach with the jean jacket on. And I walk up to him. And the whole goal is just to punch him in the face and walk away. That's, that's, that's as deep yeah. as the plan was. <laughs> I'm like, look, I'm not a street dude. I don't really fight like that. But I'm like, if there's a time, this is it. You know what I mean? And uh, so, so I, I tap him on the shoulder so I can catch him on the jaw when he turns around. And I catch a vision of like the whites of his eyes a little bit. But they're super yellow. And it was just this guy. I look back. I was, I'd left church. I didn't care about Jesus. I was out, right? I'm good. Doing what I wanted to do. But it had to be the grace of God because in that moment when he turned around, something arrested me and, and, and I saw his eyes and something caught me dead in my tracks and my rage at the condition of his body and his life turned to pity in that moment. Mm. 
I remember thinking to myself, bro, you wasted everything, you know? And a kid who adored you, a wife who loved you, a good job. You knew Oprah before Oprah was Oprah. Like you had everything. And, um, you know, we went inside and we had dinner. And it was great. We had a really, really good time. We laughed. We joked. Uh, I love my mom. Uh, we got some similarities, but like my dad, that was the first time I saw some of the other parts of me and where they came from. I was like, wow. Um, we had a good time, man. And at the end of that dinner, he said, uh, he said, hey, would you, would you please forgive me? And he reached out for a hug and, and all the rage came back. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, don't touch me, bro. I will never ever forgive you for what you did to me. Mm. Um, and now the beautiful part of it is now you want me and now I get to reject you mm. because I made it and I don't need you anymore. I'm grown now. Um, so uh, I sent him back to DC and I was enjoying hurting him for a change. Mm. And he'd call and try to talk. I'd cuss him out and hang up phone, whatever. And uh, again, like I said, nowhere near Jesus. Fast forward six months. I dropped out of college at this point, selling insurance. Fast forward six months, a lady walks into my office and uh, she says, hey, I don't know what's going on or why, but, but God told me to come in here and tell you that if you don't get that bitterness out of your heart, you'll never make it into the kingdom of heaven. Mm. And she walks out. And, and I thought that was the rudest thing you could have said on a Tuesday when I'm just trying to make some money. Like, why did you bust into my office? You know what I mean? Like, wait till the church or something. Like, don't do this on Tuesday. Make a sale. You know what I mean? So, but again, like, I don't don't really care about it. But um, you look back and you realize, you know, how how Christ has been called the hound of heaven was on my trail, right? I call call him three months later and I say, hey, man, look, Dad, I I forgive you. I'm going to let it go. Um, Let's figure this out. And it was like, I tell people a lot of time, if you ever have the chance to forgive somebody of something that they cannot get right with you, yeah. like there's nothing they can do. Uh, and, and, and they don't deserve your forgiveness, by the way. Mm. And you do it anyway. Mm. It does something, definitely for them, but it does something for your own soul. Absolutely. Right? Emotionally in that moment, I don't remember feeling much, but I knew I heard my dad exhale with relief and just thank you son thank you for forgetting all that and he's like look I, i'll get a hotel i'll come see you this weekend like i just got to see it and i was like ah slow up man you're doing too much like man we good let's do the phone thing you know chill out bro you're doing you're moving too far uh, but we're good i love you we'll talk again click right um and i forget about that we had a great conversation i didn't know it would be the last conversation we'd ever have because mm. right after that phone call, he passed away. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, for me, the question was, all right, either, either God is not there, because this don't make no sense. Right. Like, what is going on? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, God is there, and he's mean. Mm-hmm. Because why would you bring him back just to take him away again? Like, what type of sick games are you playing? Right. Or... God is there and he really, really cares about forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. And God isn't defined by the decisions of man, but he jumps in and tries to fix them, even though they're not his fault or his responsibility. Mm -hmm. And that's where I landed because this seems like the God that my grandmother's been telling me about since I moved in with her. This seemed like the God that I saw in my grandfather who contrary to what my mom was running from, had a healthy Christ-centered home, and I saw his life. This seems like the God that my mom came to know living with my grandparents and was now trying to show me. And it seems like he's trying to get my attention now. Mm. And he used my dad's death and my forgiveness of my dad to, in some way, bring me life by showing me I needed God's forgiveness myself. And uh, mm. I just came to Christ, and, and I've never been the same since. Man, dude, every time, right? Second time now I've heard your story in the last couple of days. 
and it almost just brings tears to my eyes just in, in listening to just some of the pain um, that you endured. But then those those thoughts, which I believe that so many people are going through a lot of those the same brokenness in terms of being raised in fatherless homes, um, experiencing bitterness and anger and rage, right, and malice and slander in certain ways. Yeah. You had the opportunity, right, to to choose forgiveness, and then all of a sudden, what seemed like it was going to be this great and grand thing, it was like, man, we're going to start building these pieces back together, was just completely stripped out from under you again. And so with that probably came a lot more, I would say, like anger. And like you said, you had to make that choice and yeah. saying, like, you know what, I'm choosing um, forgiveness, and I'm choosing to understand that God is a good father. He's a father to the fatherless, and that he is going yeah. to come alongside of me in that truth that God often does things in us before he does things for us, right? So understanding that even though our circumstances may not change, that he can develop something greater within us in the midst of our pain and the muck and the mire that we find ourselves in. And brother, that's something that, you know, has always encouraged me, not only through life and my previous experiences, but what I hear um, just being brought out of yours specifically. When we talk about a forgiveness though legend there, there's a quote by Maya Angelou she said forgiveness is one of the greatest gifts you could give yourself and then my man TD Jakes right he's been quoted saying one of the most important things to understand is that forgiveness does not exonerate the perpetrator forgiveness liberates the victim it's a mm-hmm. gift you give yourself and when I think yes, about it when we harbor unforgiveness, it's like drinking poison, legend. For you personally, though, how were you able to truly choose forgiveness, really not even knowing Christ, like you said, up to that point? You weren't really in a relationship with them. How did you choose forgiveness and let alone then choose to forgive God, in a sense, after what was given back to you was then stripped away right from under you again? Yeah, I, I think for me, man, I I desired I'd come to identify with my pain to the point to when he threatened to take it away by asking for forgiveness. I was like, no, I've been, I've, I've lived in this for 15 years and this is my opportunity to now use my pain for my, my emotional benefit. I can't forgive you. Cause I can't, I can't take that away. I, I, I this is my time. Like I've been waiting for this moment. Right. And so, um, you know, and you walk in that unhealthiness and then at a certain point you realize um, I really do want to know him. I'm just fighting it because I'm afraid to let go of what I've identified as. Mm. And, um, and I just, at a certain point, my, my only answer, I don't really know, but my only answer is I, I desired the relationship more than I desired the bitterness at that point. And I knew I had to pick. Um, so I just decided to let it go. And I, I definitely can't, definitely have to give credit to the lady who rudely came into my office because maybe she probably scared me with a little hellfire brimstone. I come from a Pentecostal background, like, you know, sometimes we don't want to hear it, but sometimes it helps. And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that's it, man. And, and you know, it wasn't, I, you know, I had those, those theological thoughts about God floating around. Yeah. But really what hit me was this deep understanding that I, too, had offended God. I'm mad at my dad for what he did. Yeah. But I, I got to remember the thing I did to so-and-so and the thing I did to such-and-such and what I said the other day. And, and this, and I'm, I'm looking at a trail of broken relationships in my life that are a result of hurt people hurt people. That's right. And so I'm like, crap, I, I, need, I need God's forgiveness. I'm sitting here mad at him, but I need him to forgive me. Like, who am I kind of thing? So, and, and maybe that was being raised in church and understanding your place as created versus creator. But like um, somewhere along the lines, it made sense. Like I can't, this ain't God's fault. If God is there and if God would care enough about my life to interject himself to fix it, man, he cares about me more than I even realize. Mm. So um, when he definitely just, who am I? Like, why does he have to go on to somebody who matters more than me? Yeah. Um, so I think all those things caused me to kind of like seek God instead of like blame God. Mm. Seeking God rather than blaming God. That's so good. And what you're talking about is that concept of extending forgiveness because of the forgiveness that we have been extended through Christ himself and what he did, right? By suffering and enduring death on a cross, substitutionary death for our sakes in our place. you you, You mentioned the name Oprah Winfrey, right? And what's fascinating is something that came to my mind. There was a guy that she interviewed on her show years ago named Dr. Bruce Perry. And he's a mental health expert. He's either a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And they were asking him, just talking about his 
new book, and he was saying really at the end of the day that we ask we ask all the wrong questions uh, in our culture and society today. Oftentimes, we point at kids or we point at people, and we're like, "What's the matter with that person? Right? What's wrong with him or what's wrong with her?" And he's like, "The question we should be asking is the one that you began asking yourself: is rather than what's wrong with that person, it's like, man, what happened to that? What person? happened? Thank that's you, right. bro. No, that's that's yeah. empathy. You know what I mean? Yeah." No, you're right, man. I think about it all the time. Like I was, I had this conversation regularly. Like I want to be mad at this person. I want to, I want to write them off. I want to throw them in the box. I want to say, Oh, well they just suck because X, Y, Z, but like, no, what happened? Like what caused you? There's nobody in their right minds that would abandon their children. What happened to you? And maybe you're just morally, whatever, but chances are something happened to you. Uh, and it just doesn't, bro. I met a guy in prison uh, earlier this year. I was at a, a season so of max security. I don't know if he's getting out. I don't know if he's got 50 years. He's in that for murder. And, he, and I, I went in and talked about everything I just told you. And he approached me afterwards. And I'm, I'm hugging guys and, and, and giving them some hope that they can still, you know, connect with their children and da, 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 all that. But this guy comes up to me and he looks me in my eyes. Eyes are just glass, bro. He's just, he's just soul is just like hurting. And he says, Hey, I'm in here because I murdered my father. Mm. I'll never get to forgive him for what he did to me. And I'll never get to apologize for what I did to him. Mm. What do I do? And I'm just like, good God, what do you say in this moment? Right. Uh, And it's just that, and we, we talked and and I hope I encouraged him, but it's just, it's that piece of like, you murdered your dad because your dad did something to you that broke you. And now you've got to pay for it. Um, and somebody, I heard somebody say, it's a hard phrase. It's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. Mm. And now he's paying for it. But it's just like, what happened? Like, if you just see the guy murders his dad, you're like, what type of horrible child is this? What happened to make a child do, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I just, yeah. I get so frustrated, man. When we, we have all these dynamics in our country with polarization and people fussing and pointing fingers and all that. And somebody gets arrested and they're 20 and they're going to jail for 60 years. And when somebody looks at the news and says, good riddance, get them off the street. They're dangerous. I'm like, bro, what happened to that man for 20 years Mm. that this is where he landed that you don't care about. And you're going to go to church on Sunday and sing about good, good father, but you don't care about this guy made in the father's image. So we gotta, we gotta ask that question. What happened a lot more than saying, oh man, uh, good riddance. They made a bad decision. Exactly, man. What happened to that person? Empathizing with them in the midst mm-hmm. of right their pain, their story, their journey. Because we all experience different pain, right? And we all perceive it right. differently than other people would, or you know, different kind of levels of um, extremes here. But at the end of the day, it's being able to come alongside of people. And now it's easier said than done, right? Especially when you're the one that has experienced the wound or the hurt, and it's easier. Yeah say these things right from a good place than when you're somebody maybe listening here legend that's like bro you don't get it man like i'm going through the the time of my life like this is the hardest experience i've ever walked through i've ever gone through i've ever journeyed through i'm in the midst of the muck and the mire but brother one thing that i know you teach on and i'm sure you taught on within that prison you taught that guy right they just told the, sh- the story of is this idea where it's like a four-part framework to forgiveness can you help us yeah. understand and knowing that forgiveness is really one of our responsibilities that god calls us to all throughout scripture how can we begin to forgive even in the midst of our pain yeah no doubt man i think um i started to notice that forgiveness is more than one thing as i started to share my story and talk about things and teach people to forgive one of the things that stopped me in my tracks is somebody you know comes up to me after that more often privately but uh if i'm not mistaken a few times it's public and grabbed the microphone and said hey i i got sexually assaulted mm. So you just, do I just forgive that? Am I a bad Christian if I struggle with forgiving that? And um, I had to start saying, hey, when I'm saying forgive, here's what I am saying, here's what I'm not saying. Yep. And had me break down the pieces because what, what what, that made me realize that some people think in order to forgive, I must allow myself to be a doormat or I must not address my no trauma. Behavior. Yeah. Right, right. I got to keep the door. I got to let this person back in my house because they're my cousin. And if I really forgive them, I'm, I'm not going to keep them out or else I'm a bad Christian. I'm not being like Christ and loving everybody. And it was this dividing line there. 
And so the, the framework is there's a difference between forgiveness, justice, trust, and reconciliation. Mm. Those are four different things. Uh, forgiveness, John Piper says, and I like him because he uses a bunch of big words you probably don't need to use, but they sound smart when you put them together. He says, <laughs> you read the John Piper books like, yo, why? But uh, it's always great. I love his books. Forgiveness is the release of a perceived debt owed me. Forgiveness is a release. So forgiveness is letting the debt go. So what happens is you offend me. You say something or you do a thing. You, t- you steal five bucks or you offend me on, on, on Instagram or whatever you did. And you now owe me the debt of an apology. Uh, you owe me my $5 back. Whatever it is, you owe me this. And until you pay it back, I am carrying that debt that you owe. And that's accumulating interest, but it's negative debt. And it's hurting me because it's on my soul and my birth. You're living in my head rent-free. Uh, you're not paying me anything. Uh, and you're off living your life. But I'm walking around carrying this debt. Now, justice would be you pay that debt back. And maybe with interest. You pay me back my five. So my car restitution, you pay me my $5 back and say, dude, I shouldn't have stolen it. I'm sorry. Matter of fact, here's 10. I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. Or you say, you know what? I shouldn't have said that that way. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, would you give me a chance to make it up? Whatever. Um, that's justice. But whether you do that or not, always in my power is the ability to let the debt go that I think you owe me. Mm. Now, is it right? Maybe not. It's definitely right for the forget. In the kingdom of God, it's right. In the practical human sense, maybe not. But I always have the power to say, you know what, man, keep the five bucks. We good. I'm, I'm, you know, whatever. So I hope I get justice. But whether I do or don't get justice from you doesn't mean I trust you, mm-hmm. right? Because forgiveness is given. That's a gift. And it's always in my hand to give. But trust is earned. You got to earn your trust back. So show me that you're no longer, I can leave my wallet out around you and you're not going to steal it. Show mm-hmm. me that your language towards me is different. And when you speak to me next time, you're honoring and not tearing me down. Show me that you've changed. And maybe as I earn trust, not on your schedule, but online, we might get to the place where I actually trust you again. And now we might be able to step into the process of reconciliation and repairing and restoring our relationship or making it even better than it was before because we went through a trial, we came over it together, and now we're even stronger than we were because of it. Now, we hope all four things happen. And the goal, of course, in the kingdom, 2 Corinthians 5, is always to end up at reconciliation, even in minor things. But forgiveness is always in the power of the offended. Um, Now, if somebody's done the unforgivable, and they've crossed that line of abuse and trauma. I, I helped found a sex trafficking organization, anti-sex trafficking organization called Safe House Project to protect vulnerable kids who are, who are being abused, give them somewhere to go and seek justice. And, and bro, when you cross that line, how do you forgive? You've got to do, a, you know, tons and tons and tons of therapy to cover up somebody else's decisions and walk through things and heal. That's not fair, right? Uh, how do you forgive that person? There's a way to let the debt go, but you don't have to trust them. And you can still seek justice against them mm. while forgiving them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think you can let the debt go and still call the cops if you got to do that. <laughs> but there's, there's levels to it. You know, you may never reconcile with that person. Mm. And that's okay. Matter of fact, it's understandable. You may not be able to speak to them to forgive them. Because of trauma and triggers of safety, and that's okay. But those levels of separating those things are, are, you know, they give you freedom based on where you are, uh, how you need to heal, the space you need to have, the proximity to the person, the health of that person or yourself, all those things. So when you separate them and you can look at them differently, you don't have the pressure to make yourself be in one stage you're not supposed to or ready for. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I love that, right? Being able to separate those four parts, but also still understanding, like you're mentioning, that forgiveness, man, it's a process, right? It's not going to be just the snap of a finger and everything changes, right? It is being able to engage in and dive into the midst of that process and commit yourself to the process day in and day out, knowing that some days may look harder than others. Other days may be easier, right? But it's like, no, I'm in the midst of this forgiveness process because I understand that, like you said, it is for the sake of me, the 
benefit of me too because I'm just drinking the poison if I'm just holding on Ooh. to the anger and bitterness and resentment towards somebody. But I can yeah. forgive them. And like you said, they then get the opportunity to take responsibility for earning that trust back, then providing opportunities for reconciliation. Without asking yes, too, Legend, is for somebody that's out there that maybe has been offended greatly and let's say mm. they don't have that opportunity of even – even talking to somebody to let them know that they have been forgiven, right? It's like that maybe this person has passed away. Maybe yeah. this person's completely gone. What is the word of maybe just hope or encouragement that you would share with somebody just off the cuff today that's like going through something as difficult as that? Yeah. I think um, obviously in the healthiest situation, you get to speak to the person. Yeah. Um, there is healthy enough to have a conversation, even if it's hard or they haven't passed on yet and you can have it. Um, that's obviously the best, but I don't think that it's a, it's a requirement that the debt that, that that person is spoken to for the debt to be let go of and forgiven. Um, so if the situation isn't healthy, if they passed on, whatever it is, you still have the ability to say, you know what, I'm not going to carry around the debt that unless they say these things or do this thing, that now I'm free and I'm okay. I release this person from paying me back. I release this person from saying the right words. I release them from changing so I can live and be healthy. And you just let it go. There's several exercises through counseling. You can do that. Some people will, uh, you get a trusted friend to stand in proxy and you say what you need to say to them as if they were the other person. It's an exercise. I don't know if there's anything mystical about it. I don't think so. But I think when you have the ability to get it off your chest, say what you need to say to somebody who will uh, step in and be the sacrificial lamb, so to speak, just so you can get it off. That, that's a, just an exercise uh, that can happen. Writing it out and burning it. Like those things are all types of stuff like that sometimes that people do. And not in a not in a mystical New Agey sense. Just like, hey, I got to write this letter to get it out of my system okay. and say the words I've been, I've been swallowing. Um, those things are not things that I do per se or need to do, but th- I've seen them help other people. As long as you keep Christ at the center, I don't really care much what you do as long as it doesn't counteract some of the things he led us to do. So, uh, or told us to do. So, um, there's several steps in counseling. I, I'm, I'm a big counseling advocate. So yeah. I'm like, listen, um, let the debt go, whether you can speak to them or not. You can do that on your own with a trusted friend or with a professional counselor and walk through the steps of, hey, I can't call them because if I do, it's going to turn into this. I'm going to be triggered. I'm not going to have the words to say, or they've passed away. What do I do? And take those steps. Um, so I, I just think you, you, you can let the debt go at any time, whether you speak to the person or not. Now, if it's healthy to speak to them and it's just difficult and you don't want to, then work towards the stages of being able to do that because a face-to-face is always the best, I think. Yeah. Um, but if you cannot, um, don't, don't hold yourself back. You still have the same freedom to let it go. Amen. Amen right there, Legend. I appreciate just you pushing a lot of our listeners toward that counseling space, that mental health space, being a Christian counselor myself, someone who obviously uh, is, wants to be clinically excellent, but distinctly Christian in all that I do, pointing people to the true source of change and of power and of hope, which is Christ himself. Um, just hearing those words. And I feel like when people, they struggle with forgiveness, a lot of times the reasoning behind it is because they're seeking answers, right? They're seeking answers to why, why did things end up this way? Why did this person do these types of things? Yeah. But it's being able to understand what I feel like God imprinted on my heart and one of the most difficult and challenges of my life, I've shared it on here several times, is that idea that in the absence of clarity, there's that invitation to intimacy with him, right? Being able then to reframe those questions of why did these things happen to me? Why did this person offend or hurt or wound me to rather saying, God, what in the world do you want me to learn in the midst of this, right? What are some of the lessons? that you want me to carry throughout my life with? How can I grow? How can I shape? How can you mold me and develop me into the best version of myself in spite of my pain, right? Not because of my pain, but in spite of my pain. There's a difference between those two legends. And then for you, in knowing that now we want to transition just into the importance of dads and just of of fatherhood as we kind of close out this episode, how are you able to understand just the importance of it and be able to step into it knowing that you didn't want to carry that anger or rage or resentment into your own personal family and to your own kids' lives? What's that process been like for you trying to, in a sense, flip the script or the generational tide within your family? Man, I... It's two things for me. One, it, it's still a process where God 
was and is still healing me. Like I've got two beautiful kids. My daughter's about to turn 13. My son just turned 10. And my wife and I are about to celebrate 17 years. And I was like, um, you know, what I went through, you know, God don't got to raise anybody from the dead to heal anything. Like that I have a healthy family. It's a miracle. And I know Christ is real, right? Um, but uh, it's two things, I think. And I'll talk about one practical step my wife and I took. And then I'll talk about the process and how God was showing himself through my children. The, the practical step is we both come from varying degrees of brokenness um, in, in the fatherhood family story. And, and uh, just to make a quick story short, we were just like, hey, long story short, we said, we need to see how this is done from people who are further down the road. Yeah. And we just, we made some friends who were old. <laughs> you know what I mean? Older, right? And they're 25 years down the road. Uh, they're together. They love Jesus. Their kids love them. Everybody's healthy. Things are working out. And we're like, what did you do? Because in a quarter of a century, we want to be where you are right now. Yeah. And we hung out with them and learned from them and listened to them and, and didn't just hang out just the osmosis, but like intentionally, like, teach me this. Show me that. Uh, from various aspects, different, different worldviews and thoughts, Christ-centered, but like different aspects of things and different strengths over here. We, I just want to, I'm pulling together all the wisdom I can get because you guys have healthy families and your kids love you and they're doing well in life and they love Jesus. I want all of that. So that's what we did. And, and, and now we have people that are getting married, about to get married, looking at us like, yo, what did y'all do? Cause everybody around me got divorced in two years and I don't want that for my wife and kids. So, um, so we always have a hand reaching across the peers, reaching down to somebody else, reaching up to somebody who's helping us. Um, I would say, man, with my kids, the, the break in the cycle, um, I, after my dad died, um, and, uh, you know, came to Christ and all that, there was this pressure of, I'm going to be a better father than he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to prove I can be a better father than he was. And there's some help to that because it pushed me on a journey. Um, but there was still some hurt in that because I needed to prove I wasn't going to be him. Um, and I remember when my daughter was born, um, you know, the year after my dad situation happened, my wife and I got married four years after that, my little girl was born and we named her Shekinah, God's glory manifest. Right. Uh, and she's born, she's about five minutes old. I'm looking at her and she's my dream come true. Like she heard my voice and she's looking all around eyes wide open, right out the wall. Uh, beautiful moment, an instant fear of what if I screw this up like my dad did me? And I'm happy and afraid and, and every new parent will tell you they're afraid when they just hand you a human to say, here, figure it out. Right. But it was something about that moment where I was like, can't do to her what he did to me, but I don't know if I'm man enough to not slip like he did. Like all that in ministry, everything at this point, scared to death. And my mom pulled me to the side and said, do you have any idea what today is? And I said, I do not. She said, today is your father's birthday. And I said, well, I never knew my dad's birthday to the day my first child was born until the day I became a father. So there was nothing to celebrate. And, and she's born on 7-7, number of completion, all that stuff. I know we're getting into numerology and all that, but like Shekinah, the glory of God, God gave us that name before we were even pregnant that the glory of God would visit me two weeks early on my dad's birthday is God to me orchestrating things to say, if you'll trust me with this, everything is going to be okay. I got you. And it was just God weaving himself into my story again, saying, I've got your back. And I got your back in the scariest and most painful thing of your life. If you'll hand it to me and trust me with it. And my daughter, that's, that's, that's my age, man. That's my, if she was here, I'd ask you to jump in the camera because she just, She's just weird like that. I love it. And, um, uh, you know, so eventually it started to change from, I have to prove I'm a better man than he was. And as I started to heal, as God started to massage me, uh, it was let me be the man he could have been mm. had he met Christ in time. Wow. So as we come into my son being born, God spoke again through the names and through that. So I was, I got to a place where I was like, I always skipped in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, right? I always skipped the father part because I don't want to read them. But I was like, well, I care about this verse now, but my dad's been dead for like eight, nine years. How do I honor him? He's gone. And I said, T, if we have a boy, 
let me make his middle name my dad's first name just to honor my dad in the earth a little bit mm. and my dad's name was daniel like daniel but with a z yeah. um and my, and my wife said okay cool i like the name josiah as a first name and i was like nah i'm not sold on that so uh she she was pregnant so she won and um <laughs> and, and you know about eight months in i was like well i care about all this name stuff let me look up what josiah means and then it made absolute sense why i was adamant about my dad's name being the middle and why she was adamant about it. Uh, josiah's name being the first josiah le means literally yahweh heals mm. so my son's name is yahweh heals daniel anderson cool. my son's name is god heals my dad <laughs> And, uh, and so I'm looking at that and it was just another wink from heaven. Like, if you'll trust me with this, mm. I've got you here too. So it was this process, this multi-year process of don't parent from bitterness, parent from healing. And your scars can either show you that you were hurt or show you that you've been healed, but it's all in your perspective. Um, so I choose to see the healing through the scars. Man, well, let me tell you, Legend, um, all I can say after hearing just kind of the testimony and the details of that story is just how profound it is in knowing that God is completely for us. He is in the intricacies of our life. He is um, always has our best interest at heart. His love is greater than any depth that we can possibly fathom or imagine. And obviously, his hand has been all over the works of your story. Legends, we kind of, before we really go to a close here, is is there anything else that really comes to your mind or to your heart in terms of just forgiveness in general? Yeah, I've got two, two thoughts about um, cultural forgiveness that I hope are helpful and aren't taken the wrong way. If I can, if I can be candid, absolutely. And feel free to clip them if they don't fit. No, um, I think the first one is just really just down the middle. Um, one of the people will take the forgiveness conversation and they'll look at it in a familial thing and, my, my sister did this and my dad did that and, and very, very much so. But in, in, let me just talk to the church. In the church, we will take that and we won't apply it to uh, the people that we dislike the most. Mm. Because even each of us has a list of people, um, religious, theological, uh, sociological, whatever, racial, that we just don't like as much. And it typically goes along the lines of, uh, our pains, our experiences, our culture, our beliefs, what our favorite news channel or our, our social sphere is presenting as the enemy, whatever. And we've got to be able to apply all of Jesus's words about forgiveness to those things too, that we typically gloss over. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that, 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 that is a big passion point for me is I think our biggest sin in our country right now is political idolatry. Mm. Personally, I'm very passionate about certain beliefs, obviously, but um, when we take the things we care the most about and use them as a way to talk to somebody else made in the image of God, as if they're less than that, uh, not that we don't need to fight what they're trying to push vehemently, yeah. Yeah. not that we don't need to interject the gospel annoyingly. Yes, we need to do that stuff. But man, when we look at that person and say, man, they're the reason that our country is blah, blah, blah. They're the enemy and, they, and they're definitely not a Christian because, and, and we, we, we use that to mudsling and the shame. Mm. We need to take the aspect of the forgiveness of God and say, not only what happened, because we can, we can use that and become self-righteous with it. But yes, if we do it healthy, but my, listen, before I even get mad at you, you're made in the image of God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for me and then you. I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. Let me, let, me, let me look at you as that first. Because we're about to enter this nasty, politically divisive season. And what scares me to death, what hurts me, what makes me shed tears is when I see the church acting just like the culture in terms of political idolatry, pandering and pointing fingers. So if we take this forgiveness message seriously. That's right. And when Jesus says, listen, don't even bring your offering to church if you have a problem with somebody. Mm. You know what I'm saying? If you don't forgive somebody else, your five heavenly father is not going to forgive you. Not because you got to earn forgiveness, but because you don't understand the gospel. And when you've been forgiven little, you love little. But when you forgive much, you love much because you know you were forgiven of the most egregious things. How dare you hold a grudge? When you get that, you can't operate the way we operate in our political and religious and evangelical circles. 
And we've got to interject the kingdom before we interject our silos and our partisanship. Mm. So I want people to stand for their convictions and do what they're going to do voting and then fight for the kingdom. But if it's, 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 it, it can't be at that expense. The kingdom is way too important. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No, that's so good. Because we're understanding, like you said, forgiveness is much more than just familial ties. It's also cultural ties. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about just our culture and society today and our nation, where we're at. There's a lot of division, a lot of hatred, really, at the end of the day, pointing fingers, mm-hmm. like you said. And it's yeah. that idea that, yes, we need to stand up and step into this moment, step up in this moment for the sake of Christ, for the cause of Christ, right? Being able to rather let's go out and vote, stand up for those things. Don't, in a sense, allow evil to be known as good and good to be known as evil certain things like that but at the end of the day like you're mentioning don't be pointing the finger demeaning and shaming people like you said they're not an image bearer of christ right they bear christ just as much as we do and so we're only doing them actually a disservice in my opinion by pointing the finger going against them in certain in certain aspects right especially if we're shaming these types of things and making them believe that we're no better off right than but he's living in sin and darkness well, you take your enemy a cup of water because it's a literal command in scripture, right? Uh, you won't do that, but you know, you preach. And um, the other thought, man, I had, and I hope this helps, is just a, a something God convicted me of early on, you know, in, in just in our cultural moment as well. So I'm telling my forgiveness story everywhere I can go, preaching about it, rapping about it. People that come up to me, man, this is early on, like 10 plus years ago. Oh man, I haven't talked to my, my mom in a decade. I'm a caller right after the show. Like, thank you. For, like, I'm seeing that over and over and over again. But eventually you start to, you know, hear the stereotype. Oh man, that the, the poor black family that's all torn up and drug addicted daddies and alcoholism. And man, if, if the black community just get it together, man, look at the, look at the egregious numbers of, mm-hmm. and you start to feel like a stereotype. Yeah. And I started to get invited into white spaces, which made it a lot worse. And I was like, yo, I'm ashamed to tell my story. I don't know. I'm the only black dude here. Definitely the only rapper here. I don't want to talk about my drug addicted alcoholic father to reinforce the stereotypes the media put on me. Uh, and, and, you know, wherever they are. So I stopped telling my story. I was ashamed. I stopped talking about it. The main thing I gave me for ministry, I stopped talking about because I was ashamed. And I went full time. And uh, in 2013, left my job as a youth pastor. And then I got invited to be at this big camp. In South Carolina, on the beach, it's beautiful. I'm looking at this the room; is huge, and I'm like, I've never seen anything like this. I don't know anything about Christian camps. I didn't know that was a thing growing up. And I'm like, man, God, you really were serious about me going full time. I'm in this beautiful place. There's uh, almost a thousand students down there, and I'm about to go rap and preach. Thank you. What do you want me to do? And just the, the nudge of the Holy Spirit: tell your story about your dad. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Nah, I don't want to do that. Like this. <laughs> Um, uh, is is all white people down here? I'm not reinforcing stereotypes. Give me something. Give me something else, and I'll be obedient to that. And uh, I'm on stage, and you just feel the, the Holy Spirit just shoulder tap, like, "Hey, hey, hey!" And I'm like rapping, trying to ignore it. And I just stop the music and I tell my story. Wow. And I really didn't want to, because um, I didn't want to be the you know poor black drug addicted dad kid in front of all these rich white kids. Mm. You know, I'm just being very transparent. Yeah. And um, and then I did something I never did before. I said, hey, how many of y'all went through this or something similar? Raise your hand. And like 60% of the hands went up in the room. And, uh, and immediately I, I repented and I said, God, please forgive me because I'm judging them the very way I thought they were judging me. Mm-hmm. And I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. And what I learned that day, I, I personally do believe we have racial issues, inequality issues. I believe we got a bunch of stuff we got to talk about, school to prison pipeline. We, I am 100% on all of that in a gospel-centered way, not a left or right way. The left and the right get on my nerves. But um, what I did come, what I walked away from that moment was sin doesn't segregate. We are trying to figure this thing out. We are trying to cling to Christ. And sin doesn't segregate. And in a world that tells us it does, that is wickedly false there are other things that may also be true but that is false um so in the forgiveness aspect we got to make sure we don't apply it just to our pains but that we offer the same grace we want god to give us so good sin doesn't segregate and i also think of this idea of 
just shame in the midst of our stories and understanding the, the significance of our stories. I think of Revelation twelve eleven, which reminds us, right, that we're triumphant because of two things, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimonies, right? God's already done his part. He's already fulfilled that, right? The lamb has been slain on behalf of us, but are we doing our part? I also think of Colossians four eighteen, where Paul like concludes that letter by saying, remember my chains. That's so powerful. He's not saying like, you know, extend sympathy toward me. Don't feel bad for me, right? I don't care about all that. Like he, honestly, he's the one that is saying all these different things, sharing his story. He once persecuted Christians. And now all of a sudden he's the one that's trying to lead people to Christ now more than ever in that culture and society. But he's saying, remember my change, not because of my story, but because of what God has done in and through me in my story. And lastly, I think of, you know, John chapter five, where Jesus comes and he heals the man at the pool of Bethesda. And he tells him to pick up your mat and walk. The first thing he does is he's carrying that mat through the entire like city all of a sudden one of the pharisees say they're like put your mat down you can't carry that on the sabbath right in a sense that mat represented his story his wounds his challenges his adversity the things that he had gone through the places that he had been right the muck and the mire in his life and they're asking him to put that away right but at the end of the day that was the beauty in it and that's why jesus i believe told him to pick up his mat and walk because he wasn't going back there right that was no longer his home Beautiful, that was no longer where he would be and so what i would encourage you in before you leave us and before you encourage us here at the end is brother never Never, never feel ashamed or afraid to share your testimony because again this is coming from somebody that's only met you twice now right both through zoom calls is understanding <laughs> you have one of the most profound and powerful testimonies i've ever heard and i'm incredibly mm. blessed and humbled and thankful that you were willing to share that with me and so for that my friend i can't thank you enough but but brother as as thank we come to a close legend um, how I always love to leave these episodes and kind of close them out is by allowing our guests just to share a pressing word that they believe God has placed on their heart for such a time as this. And so, brother, for the person out there today who's really resonated maybe with your story, maybe they've had and been raised in similar experiences, maybe they are still carrying some bitterness and some anger and some rage even toward people that have hurt or wounded them in their past. They don't even know what forgiveness looks like, legend. What's the last word of hope, encouragement, and motivation that you want to leave that person with today? I think the only thing that comes to mind is, is to you are not what you went through. Mm. That is not you. You are not your trauma. You are not your abandonment. You are not your abuse. You are not, um, you are not what you went through. You may have been a victim of that thing, but that thing is not who you are. And if you can revert the identity damage that's been done to I am made first and foremost, even on my worst day, in the image of Almighty God. And that means I have infinite dignity, value, and worth inherent in my fabric and in my being. And nothing and nobody can take that away from me. Not even me. Even if I think incorrectly about myself. On my worst day, God Almighty thought I was worth exchanging his life for to pay for my sin to get me back. Hmm. If that can be your identity on your worst day, uh, what could it be on your best day? So I, I just I just want people to not. I don't want to speak against it because I've never been through AA or NA, but it struck me the other day. I know a big part of it is is radical honesty, and I thank God for that because I know you've got to say you can't. I don't believe in fake it till you make it. I'm hurt. This is what it is. This sucks. And I want to be honest about it. Live that way. I think that's great. But, but the show I was watching, the young lady was fighting not to go back to the bar. And she, and she, instead she wandered into a uh, found a meeting and she started with, I'm an addict. And I know in their format, that's healthy. I'm not going to speak against that at all. But I also was thinking at the same time, uh, is there at some point a, a healthier thing to identify with when you found healing or is there a healthier thing to say yeah. for yourself? So uh, again, I'm being very careful not to speak against that, but I couldn't leave that, that scene without saying, I wonder if she should identify a, as a child of God first. Uh, I wonder what would happen if she knew her value and worth 
wasn't just her kicking this habit, but it's in uh, whose image she's made in, how valuable she is with or without her alcoholism. She is this period. And there's no arguing about that. And you can live into that. Uh, you don't have to live low and then work your way up. You're there, right? A God wanted to die for you while you were running in the opposite direction. I think there's a fundamental way of doing that without bringing in self-righteousness or moralism or you're good, you're not. Just why are we resentful? So I just want to say that to anybody who is struggling with, I went through this, therefore this is what I am. Mm. Um, you know, you may be a victim of this, but I think you are what God said you are, regardless of what you have or haven't been through. So good, bro. That idea that the damage you may have experienced not only does not define you, but it also doesn't defeat you. It's like that old quote, right? Mm, Where Satan, Satan knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. And as you were sharing, I wanted to share it just one. I've actually last. never heard that. That's amazing. Yeah, I just wanted to share one last verse with our listeners today as you were talking. It reminds me of Romans eleven twenty nine, which says, For the gifts and the call of God on your life are irrevocable. In other words, nothing that you have ever gone through could ever take away the gifting and the calling that God has placed and purposed for your specific life. Oftentimes, mm -hmm. Satan would love nothing more for us to get in our own way, to become our own worst enemy, but we have to strip ourselves of the shame, of the lies, of all of those things that hinder us from stepping into the calling and the purpose for which God has created for us because we have to remember it cannot be stripped, it cannot be taken. It is irrevocable. Legend, where can our listeners find out more about you, all the incredible things you're doing? I know you were talking about like a mus uh, online musical tour. Is that what you're saying? No, no. I'm, I'm work I have an online, uh, I have a virtual concert series that we That's did that's available on my website. Yes. So, so uh, legend, L-E-G-I-N, Nigel backwards, L-E-G-I-N dot TV is my website. And if you just click virtual concert, you can stream it all like you could Amazon stuff. Um, all of my socials at legend TV, YouTube, Instagram, whatever, um, music video sermons are available and all those things. And, uh, if anybody would like to find me on any of the music sites, uh, Apple, wherever you get your music from anywhere, it's available everywhere. Just look up legend. You'll find me. Man, legend. Thank you so much, brother. Just for all that you're doing for allowing God just to work in and through your life to reach uh, the masses, especially all of our listeners and myself today. Brother, let me thank you again just for your time, uh, for your willingness to join me. I love and appreciate you, man. And I'm so thankful love that you to share your story. Thanks for having me, Zach. I appreciate you, dog. Absolutely, thank you. brother. Thank you. Man, you guys, I don't know about you, but what a powerful episode that was just in being able to hear some of um, Legend's testimony and how God has brought such restoration in and through his life. Truly, I mean, it's inspiring to me to hear how he was able to forgive in the midst of such great pain, but also how he was able to cling to Christ in the midst of the challenges and the adversity that he was up against. What I want to leave you with today are two of those quotes that I mentioned in today's interview that I think would be just great reminders for you as we close out today's episode revolving around this idea of forgiveness. Maya Angelou once said, forgiveness is one of the greatest gifts you could give yourself. And then T.D. Jakes has been quoted saying, one of the most important things to understand is that forgiveness does not exonerate the perpetrator. Forgiveness liberates the victim. It's a gift you give yourself. Remember, forgiveness is freeing and forgiveness only takes one. You can be that one today. Holding on to the grudges, the anger, the bitterness, the resentment, that only is like drinking poison day in and day out. But letting go, letting that debt go, that doesn't mean like legend said, you have to trust somebody. That doesn't mean that you're a doormat or that you are approving the somebody's behavior, but it does mean that you're letting go the pain and the resentment and the challenging things that you maybe have been carrying for far too long, my friends. What I want to remind you of today as we close is that you may have been somebody that comes from a fatherless home, maybe a motherless home. Maybe you're holding a lot of anger and grudge toward them in your own personal life. And I just want you to know this, that we serve a God who is the father to the fatherless, somebody that sticks closer than a brother, 
somebody that says in Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the water, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. We serve a God that is for us, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And I promise you guys that if God has led you somewhere, he will not leave you in the midst of that challenge and that pain. He hasn't just allowed it to happen to you guys, but he's actually in your midst wanting to experience it with you. Sometimes all we have to do is invite him in. And that's my prayer for you today. If you've been harboring a lot of pain and challenge and adversity and you're trying to do it on your own, that you would come to the end of yourself and recognize that we are in desperate need of a God who created us to be in relationship with him. You guys, my prayer today is that you would turn your attention and that you would turn your anger and your bitterness, that you would hand that over to God and help him to infuse within you this heart of forgiveness today. You guys, thank you so much just for tuning into this episode. To all of our listeners, may, be sure that you go and check out all the incredible things that Legend is doing. You can do that by just looking up legend.tv. You can find out more about him, about his bio, hear some of his messages, hear some of his music, even book him for future speaking engagements, podcasts, different things like that. You can also hear some of his incredible concert series that he's released. I'm telling you guys, this guy is doing some incredible things. He really does just have a heart to be obedient and answer the call that God has placed upon his life. So check him out, legend.tv. Go there right now. Just get involved with all the great things that he's doing. We're so thankful for you, Legend, just for your heart, brother, and just for coming on today and sharing your testimony. As always, you guys, I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us. We love being a part of your life. We hope to see you right back here next week on the Built Different Podcast. Podcast.